good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Glad you're here today. We really do enjoy the fact that you'd come and join us on this end of the summer. I know for many of you, school started last week, back in those routines, and I saw several kids who were struggling, you know, to kind of hold their heads up after a whole week of uh, school and engaging there. And, you know, we're, at the, we're wrapping up this series, and it's been a lot of fun to be in, as, especially it was tied to the Olympics, and it was so exciting watching the athletes, and they performed, and uh, they uh, came so prepared to uh, compete in the arena of competition uh, that they had chosen. And so uh, we saw, you know, lots of victories, lots of gold medals. Uh, we saw failures. We saw stumbles. We saw athletes who came. This was their one shot, and then uh, something happened that sent it awry, and our hearts all went out to them. It's just been fun to watch that. You know, we're at the end of the Olympics now, but our series goes on for this week and next week. And the whole idea of this series is, is just like we watched these Olympians, and that many people in the Olympics right now, uh, we watched a video a few weeks ago, are there because they watched a previous Olympic Games. And then because they watched that, they were inspired themselves to join in and be part of the Games. And so this whole idea of this series is, is that we're looking in Hebrews 11 at God's gold medal team, so to speak, uh, the heroes of faith, and that we're looking at them, and we're looking at how they lived, and how they inspired their generation, but not only did they inspire their generation, but they're inspiring generations to come all the way to us today as we look at them. So what I want to do is I want to ask you if you would to grab your message notes out of your program so you can, you know, jump in, you can take notes with me. All the Bible verses we'll use will be on this. If you have your Bible, you know, grab it. Hebrews 11, and then Joshua. You'll want to turn to Joshua 2, right at the beginning, but Hebrews 11 as well. If you don't have a Bible, make sure uh, right on either side of our doorway, uh, we have these bookcases with Bibles. That's for you to grab one when you come in, so you can use it while you're here. If you have one, you put it back. If you don't have one, take one. We want everyone to have a Bible so they'd have access to God's Word on their own. Right at the top is our theme verse from Psalm 78, talking about this whole idea of speaking about God to this generation and to the next generation, not only by how we speak, but how we live. And look at what it says. It says, we will tell the next generation. So they have to hear from us by not only how what we say, but how we live, about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. So we have a definition of faith that we've been using. It's there on your message notes. There's actually a typo in it today. I'm so sorry about that. There's a typo in it. But there's not on the screens. There's no typo here. So let's read it off of there, okay? Out loud, ready together. Being sure that God is who He says He is and that He will do what He says He will do. That theme has been running throughout all of Hebrews 11, that by faith we are sure that God is who He says He is, and that He will do what He says He will do. One of the things we've learned, and we're going to really see today, is that faith is always a risk. It's always a risk to step out in faith. You can have risk without faith, right? Make stupid decisions, right? Just risk things and jump forward. You can have risk without faith, but you cannot have faith without risk. Faith will always include some risk. So what I want to set the scene today is we're going to look at two characters and how their lives were so separate, but how they came together and were intertwined that actually have influenced all generations to follow to this day from when their story was actually told. They chose to take a courageous risk in faith. I want to begin with Joshua. 
We're going to talk about Joshua for just a little bit. Joshua has taken over leadership of the nation of Israel. Moses had get, you know, handed the baton to Joshua, and now Joshua is the leader. He was the one that was going to get to lead the people into the promised land. So just as Moses, his predecessor, has done, Joshua said, I've got to spy out the land. So if you remember the story, Moses sent 12 spies into the land. Ten came back with a negative report. Two came back with a positive report. So Joseph, I mean, Joshua learned from Moses' mistake, and he sent two spies. So he sent two spies into the promised land to look it over. So they went into Jericho. They looked it all over. They came back and said, you know, everybody's quaking in fear because of what they've heard our God do for us. And so let's go. We can take them and let's go on in. So that's kind of what's happened up until this point. So they come, they move forward. The first barrier that they come to is the Jordan River. And it's at I know God did this on purpose because he has a lesson that he wants to show them. They come to the Jordan River at what is called flood stage. It's in the fall, in the harvest season. So when they come to the Jordan River, it's actually flooded, and it's, about, it's over their heads as they would go in. Here's what God said they wanted them to do as they came to this first barrier. He says this. He says, I want you to take the ark and the priests, and the priests will carry the ark, and they will step into the river. Not a good day to be a priest, okay? Not a good day. <laughs> Okay, so it's going to take some risk here. So they're going to step forward. They step into the water. They take a couple of steps. Maybe a couple of steps is up to, you know, water's coming up to here. And then all of a sudden, they watch. The water starts, instead of getting deeper as they took a step, receding. And the Bible says that God had stopped the water upstream so that as they stepped into this, the water stopped and it was no longer coming. And the entire nation was then able to cross the Jordan River and come into their first steps into the promised land. Finally, after 40 years. Now, the whole idea of God having them take the ark and have the priest go first was to show them this. If you'll put me first, I'll take care of the rest. The whole idea, that's exactly why God had them do this right now. He's what, maybe he wants you to hear today. If you'll put me first, then I'll take care of the rest. There are times, you know, when we want to tackle problems with our own strengths, with our own strategies, with our own visions, with our own power, with our own prowess, with our own abilities, with our own resources, with our own people around us. There are times when we want to just go at it with all we have, but God says, oftentimes, it's about me and what I want to do and how I want to show you my power so that as my power is shown, people will see me at work and they'll want to know me. So finally, after 40 years, just a short 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they get to be in the promised land. And so as they're there in this promised land, they now face another obstacle. And the obstacle they face is a city by the name of Jericho. Now, Jericho wasn't a large city. In fact, it was actually quite small. Uh, about 3,000 inhabitants, about 6 to 12 acres. It depends on which archaeological site you look at. It's 6 to 12 acres in size. And uh, it just had been, but it was a prominent city in that it was a gateway city into the land. The river's there, and this was a, a gateway city. And this is the, one of the oldest cities in the entire region. So what had happened is over the years, the inhabitants had built this wall around them, a wall of protection so that they would be safe. And that over the years, it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And so this wall had a gate. And the people would come, and they would open the gate. They could come in. They could do their business. They would go back out. The gates closed at night, and the city was actually safe, and no one could get in. Joshua and the nation of Israel had to deal with Jericho. That was the first thing they had to deal with when they crossed the Jordan River. They couldn't go around it. A lot of times when we come to problems, we want to figure out a way around it, right? Uh, we want to go around those problems in some way. But they had to conquer it. So that's the scene, okay? That's where we're at. That's what we're going to talk about and how these two lives 
come together. So here's what Hebrews 11 says. Hebrews 11, verses 30 and 31. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to reverse the order that we found them in Hebrews, because in the Bible the order is reversed in Joshua, and we're going to begin today by looking at Rahab for just a few minutes. Rahab played a critical part in the battle of Jericho and God's people being able to conquer Jericho. Now Rahab, she had the unfortunate distinction of having a label placed on her. You saw the label. Rahab was a prostitute. Okay, she was a prostitute. Eight times her name is mentioned in the Bible. Six times her label is given. Rahab the prostitute. So here's what we can learn from Rahab as we talk about risking courageously. You want to write it down. Rahab's story inspires us this way. Don't let a label define who you can become. Don't let a label define who you can become. This is key for us to understand. And we think about this as we go through this time we're together today. The spies, now remember those spies, those two spies, they came to Jericho. And as they came to Jericho, as you know, the Bible says that Rahab's place of business was at the corner on the wall. And so that's probably the place of prominence, right? So that as visitors are coming to town, she's got her red light glowing in the window. Stop here. Fun here. That kind of thing. Okay, so she's, she's got this going on. And so that's where she's at. And the spies, when they came to town, they thought, where can we go where people won't notice strange men coming and going? So they chose Rahab's house, and they went into Rahab's house, and they, you know, that really they thought they'd be safe there. Well, somebody saw them and saw that they weren't from around those parts, and so they said, hey, there's spies over there at Rahab's house, because they'd heard about the nation of Israel, and they were actually expecting them to come. There's spies there. So they went and told the king of the city. The king sent a patrol over there. The patrol comes and knocks on Rahab's door, and they asked Rahab to turn the men over for questioning. Right now, at this point, believe it or not, Rahab has a very crucial choice to make. Right at this point. She's stuck between two risks. If she hides the men, she risks her life. She risked losing everything that she had, whatever that was at that point, her notoriety, what she thought was her safety, and her prominence in the community, and possibly even her life at that point. If she doesn't hide the men, and they truly did come from God, and God is truly who they have heard him to be, she risks losing what may be her only chance for freedom her only chance of freedom from the label that she's been given. She had to choose. Unfortunately, God had prepared her for this moment. Look what it says in Joshua 2. She says to the spies, I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all, notice this, we are all afraid of you. Everything in this land is living in terror. Must be the dogs too. Everybody's in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you for the Red Sea when you left Egypt. So they're going all the way back to when they left Egypt and that they had heard what God had done for them and they were afraid uh, about what would happen to them if these Israelites ever came into there. So they've been quaking in fear now for over 40 years. 
And then recently they've heard this. We know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River. And you can read about that if you want. Just look in your Bible. You can find that and read about it. Whose people you completely destroyed, annihilated, wiped out. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such thing. And this is her statement of faith. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now somehow, we don't understand this fully. Somehow in a way we don't completely understand, God was at work in Rahab's heart. God was at work in her heart. She had heard stories, the stories that had been told that were going around about how awesome Israel was and how awesome their God must be if Israel could be this awesome. And if this God was really God, if this God really did what he said he did, then he must be the really true God. She had heard stories about him. Just a time out here. Sometimes in our lives, we're afraid to talk about what God's doing. We're going to talk about ridicule in a minute, about how people might ridicule us if we, you know, talk about we're a little afraid that somehow we have to defend God in those moments. But here's what happened, because Rahab had heard stories about God, she believed in God. And so I just want to encourage you in your world that there's opportunities you have to be talking about what God has done. If you talk about what God is doing not in your life, then people are able to see that, then they may be drawn to some kind of faith as well as we look at that. And with the king's guards, here's the moment. The king's guards are standing in the door right before her. She made the choice to courageously risk everything and bet the farm that God was who he says he was and that God can do what he says he can do. And so she told the soldiers at that moment that the men had left and then she sent them out on a wild goose chase outside the city. Then she lowered a rope and she lowered the men down. But as they were getting ready to go down the rope, she looked at them and said, I'm asking you to save my family, me and my family. And the men promised, those two spies promised at that moment that we will save you and your family. When the time comes, we'll let you know your family needs to get in a safe place and we will save you as we overthrow the city. Now look at this verse from James. Look at this verse from James. It's talking about Rahab in the New Testament. It says this, Rahab the prostitute was shown to be right. Circle that, shown to be right. It's a key thought, shown to be right with God by her actions. By how? By her actions, not by her beliefs, by her actions, how she acted when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Now that's um, shown to be right. If you remember right, we talked about Noah. When we talked about Noah, we said that Noah was commended by God. Noah was commended by God because Noah believed God and did what God said. And the word commended means to be made right, righteous, clean, made in relationship with him, to be made right with him. That's what that's meaning. So that's what it's saying about Rahab here. Her action showed what she believed. And the actions showed that she believed in God, and so those actions are what made her then right. And she let the men go and sent them down a different road. Here's the deal. Rahab represents everybody in this room who has ever, ever felt that God could not accept them. Everybody in this room has felt at some point that God could not accept me. Everybody in this room who's carried a label, whether earned or unearned, 
Some of us carry labels we didn't earn. Some of us carry labels that were given to us by our parents, our siblings, uh, our, the authority figures, our peers. We carry labels that we still play over in our head and we can't get past those labels that we've been given. Some of us carry labels that we've actually earned. And because we look at our lives, we think that we could never overcome those labels. And uh, we have an enemy that wants you to carry a label that didn't come from God. Because if he can keep you carrying that label, then he can keep you defeated, keep you discouraged, keep you despondent, keep you focused on yourself too much instead of being able to be focused on the God who can set you free. Everybody in this room, including me, we are all Rahab. I'm Rahab. You're Rahab. And God wants to say to every one of us today, you don't have to have a label define who you are. A label does not have to define who I see you to be. God says to every one of us, I look past every label that you wear, every label that's been placed on you, every label that you may have earned. And what I would say to you today is let who you are be defined by what I say about you and what I want to do in your heart to redeem you and take away the results of that label. And Rahab made the courageous choice to say this. She made the courageous choice. She wasn't saying it out loud. She made the courageous choice to say, I'm done with that label. I'm done with it. I'm going to put my trust in God, and I'm going to, in what, you know, who I know him to be at this point, and what he said about himself. I'm going to risk it all, basically, and I'm going to seek him for redemption. And then Rahab actually started over. She has started over in her life because she got rid of her label. And here's what I want to say to every one of us. If Rahab can do it, you can do it. It's available for everyone. If Rahab can do it, we can all do it. Now let's look at Joshua for a moment. Now Joshua, he's the opposite of Rahab in many ways. He was the chosen leader. You know, he's, he's like the star athlete. He's like the gifted scholar. He's the poster boy for those who might do great things for God. You know, I mean, she kind of envisioned him kind of buff and love curly locks coming down and, you know, just the right amount of facial hair to make him, you know, just that kind of, you know, burr here, just the right amount to make him look even tougher than he probably was. And so he just had all that. He was an accomplished soldier. He was a proven leader. He was a man of faith. He was a man of conviction. He was a man of vision. If he had a label, it wouldn't be zero. It would be hero, <laughs> okay? That's the way Moses is labeled. Um, um, who were we talking about? Joshua's label. That's what he would carry. Well, Joshua and the nation of Israel are about to come up to a barrier just like the Jordan River was a barrier between them and where they knew that God had called them to go. They're coming up against that barrier. They faced a wall. And Joshua's biggest test would be this. Will I trust God and do life his way when I face the walls of life that we're all going to face? Will I trust God and do life his way? Now, here's what we can learn from Joshua. You want to write this down. Don't let a wall determine what you can do. Don't let a wall, we learn this from his life, don't let a wall determine what you can do. So Rahab, don't let a label define who you are, and Joshua, don't let a wall determine what you can do. So, okay, they cross the river, they're coming up to the city, they have this wall in front of them, these impenetrable walls, and even though it looked to be impenetrable, here's what I'm kind of thinking Joshua's feeling, you know, he's got this massive, massive 
people group with them, this army that they've collected over the last 40 years and getting ready, they've wiped out the first two enemies they've come to. They cross the river. God's on their side. I can just see them coming up to this little peensy wincy city, eensy bitsy thing there, and they're thinking, oh, these guys are way that. We could just take them in a minute. God, just let us go. Let us at it. We want to show how great we are, God. Because all the enemies need to know how great we are, God. Well, God had another plan. A whole different plan. And this is what the Lord said to Joshua. Look at this in Joshua 6. The Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. Notice that right up front. What's, what's God's plan? I, I, it's, 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 it's already yours. It's already yours. I've already given you that. It's king and it's all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls will collapse and the people can charge straight into town. So God's speaking to Joshua. And I can just imagine Joshua kind of going, what? <laughs> I, oh, what are you saying, God? Let's see, let me get this straight. <laughs> you want me to take the greatest army in the world at this time, and you want us to march around the city, not saying a word, every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you want us to march seven times and then blow horns? And that's going to be it? God, how am I going to explain this to the people? <laughs> I've got them all pumped up. We're going to do this. You know, how am I going to explain this? And, and as crazy as it seems to Joshua, he took a courageous risk to trust God and do it God's way. So he said, he just came out and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's our strategy. Put the priests in front, and we're going to march around the city all together. We're not going to say a word every day for six days. So you can imagine, imagine, just imagine you're in Jericho, okay, this army comes up, and you're expecting them to attack you, and, and they just march around, and then they leave. And then they come back the next day, and they march around, and then they leave. And they come back the third day, and they march around, and you're thinking, in Jericho, you're probably thinking, we're pretty bad. <laughs> They're afraid. They're afraid to take us on. Hey, 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 you are taunting them and, you know, screaming down ridicule on them in different ways. And I was trying to think exactly what everybody might have been feeling at that point. So what I did is I kind of ran through my mem movie memory bank, and I came up with a movie clip that I think would kind of show what was going on. You've got to know this is really funny, so it's not true, and it's not that kind of, okay, it's really funny. Okay, so we're going to watch this. This is from Monty Python's Holy Grail. Let's watch this. And these are my knights of the round table. Whose castle is this? This is the castle of my master, Guido Luamba. Go and tell your master that we have been charged by God with a sacred quest. If he will give us food and shelter for the night, he can join us in our quest for the Holy Grail. Well, I'll ask him, but I don't think he'll be very keen. Uh, he's already got one, you see. 
What? He says they've already got one. Are you sure he's got one? Oh, yes, it's very nice, sir. I told him we already got one. <laughs> well, um, can we come up and have a look? Of course not. You are English type, sir. Well, what are you then? I'm French. Why do you think I have this outrageous accent, you silly king? What are you doing in England? Mind your own business. If you will not show us the grail, we shall take your castle by force. You don't frighten us, English pig dogs. Go and boil your bottom, sons of a silly person. I'll blow my nose at you, so-called Arthur King. You and all your silly English niggas. What a strange person. Now look here, my good man. I don't want to talk to you no more, you empty-headed animal food trough whopper. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was a little nervous about showing that because I thought, can you say fart in church? And I decided you could, you just can't fart in church. Okay, okay, there you go. Just know that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's how it probably was for Joshua and the nation that day and what they were going around, what they were probably feeling about going on. They were being ridiculed. So here's something you need to know. Anytime you choose to take a risk with God and step out courageously, there will be people around you who will ridicule you. You can count on it. And so if you're counting on the people around you, those who know Jesus and even those who don't know Jesus, to come along and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're doing the right thing and everything. You know what? You're not going to, if that's what you're going to need in order to move forward, you're oftentimes not going to get it. In fact, you're going to get ridicule and taunting when you say, I know God told me to do this, and you're going for it. So just beware that that may happen. Okay, it's day seven. Day seven. On day seven, God told them to march around seven times. So now they come back and they march around seven times. And at the end of the seventh time, they stop, and the priests get out their horns, and they blow in their horns, and they stop, and they give out a cheer. And now they get to watch what God's going to do. Look what it says in Joshua 6.20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into town and captured it. Now, I, I want us to play an imagination game, okay? Just a little bit of imagination, because those are, you know, words, you read that, oh yeah, right, God, walls fell, no big deal. Okay, so can you just imagine, let's just ima you imagine a little bit. Imagine you are Joshua. Okay, you've, you've taken this huge risk, and you've asked your armies to do this, and everybody's watching, everybody, all the other people are out, the army's watching, everything, and all of a sudden, you see this event happening. Can you imagine Joshua, he's kind of got some, you know, big anticipation, he's probably, his mouth is probably as dry as the sand that he's standing on, and he's probably got fear. Do you know you can have fear and faith together? You just can't let your fear win. And so he probably has some fear even at this moment about how things are going to go. Imagine your Rahab. You made a choice. You made a decision. Their army's going to come and liberate. And then you see them come for six days and march around. You'd be like, oh, I threw my hat in the wrong basket, okay? I'm in trouble now. And she's sitting there, and they blow the horns, and they cheer, and she's sitting there with fear and anticipation as well. And then all of a sudden, they start to hear a rumble. And they hear a rumble, and they hear a rumble. And all of a sudden, it started, the walls started to shake, and they started to rumble. And they're hearing the rumble, and the walls are starting to shake. And then all of a sudden, the walls collapse. They just come down. They get to see that. Can you imagine what they felt, Joshua felt, and Rahab felt at that moment when the walls came down? 
And it says, in the, the, just imagine then that there's so much dust you can't see. You have no idea what's just happened. And dust settles. You can imagine Joshua seeing there's no wall. There's, and the people seeing there's no wall. And the cheer comes up. And it's, the Bible says that they just went through the city and wiped everyone out. Except Rahab. Except Rahab. Somebody asked me after first service, well, Ron, what happened to Rahab? She lived on the wall. Well, archaeologists have, happened, have actually gone back, <laughs> and they found this city. They found the walls, and there's a north corner that's still standing, that was still standing after everything else fell. More than likely, that would be where Rahab was at this moment. She on all of her people were saved. Look at what it says. It talks about that. Jo- Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. You might circle that, along with her family. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, and her relatives were with her in the house. Because she had hidden the spies, Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives, notice this, she lives among the Israelites to this day. She saved her family, and she was grafted into God's family. And her family as well, because of her choice of faith. Now, I don't share the bottom line. Just here's the bottom line of what we're talking about today. You want to write this down. There is risk in stepping out. There's always risk in stepping out, but there is greater risk in standing still. There's always risk in stepping out. You know, there's always risk there. Because it's not by sight. What? It's by faith. So there'll always be risk, but there's greater risk in standing still. So when God comes to us and he calls us to step out in faith, there will always be that risk that we have. But there's always a greater risk in not stepping out. So let's personalize this a little bit. What has God asked you to do where you seem to be stuck? What has God asked you to do? Could it be your finances? What has God asked you to do in the area of financial freedom and debt? What has God asked you to do in the area of financial stewardship? Giving to him what he's asked. And you're stuck. You know he's asked, but you're stuck because it's too much risk for you. What does he ask you to do in the area of, you know, just talking to him as you go through your world with your neighbors and your workmates and your family and your friends, just talking about him, but you're stuck because you're afraid of how they're going to respond to you. Pastor John was talking about 40 days in the Word we're going to have, and some of you could host a group, and God's actually even speaking to you, and you're stuck. You're saying, I couldn't do that. You've labeled yourself already. What about serving in some area? I saw our children's ministry video. It was so awesome. And, you know, there's a tremendous need over there with all our kids to have quality people who will be willing to connect with them and show them towards faith and in our student ministry. You could help in those areas. What if, it, what if God's spoken to you about your addiction? What is it that you're hiding? And he's spoken to you about, and he says, this is time. It's time to deal with this. You can't go on hiding. What is it that you've not been willing to admit that you need to admit? What is your marriage like? You know, God's speaking to you and saying, you know, you know your marriage needs help. And God's saying a source of help would be counseling. And yet you've been stuck and unwilling to go there. Maybe in parenting, you're looking at that. Oh, it's just it's such a struggle now with our kids. And God's saying, you know, here's some, you can learn some skills. And yet you're stuck because you're afraid of stepping out. Some of you have been thinking about going to Mexico or Uganda with one of our mission teams. And you know, you've been hearing that voice in your head, but you're thinking of all the what ifs. And so those what ifs are keeping you from stepping out. What is the risk that's before you that you've not been willing to? to say yes to God about. What is it about? Is it the risk to say yes to Jesus Christ? 
That's the greatest decision that anyone can make to overcome the fear. I know, I know we have lots of people just check Jesus out and come here, but you know what? At some point, what God's asking you to do is say yes to Jesus. And yet you've been stuck. Maybe now's the time just to move forward beyond the fear that you have. So here's my encouragement, that God is calling all of us. And the risk of stepping out is a risk, but, the, but it's not as great as the risk of standing still. So what label are you wearing? Would you like to be rid of the label? What wall are you facing? Would you like to become unstuck? And then I'll ask this question because it comes back to that. When I had you circle, that Rahab's family was also saved. Who needs you to take a risk of faith? Not, it's not about you. Who needs you to take a risk of faith? Who is it in your world that needs you right now to take a risk of faith? Who is it that's counting on you to be more than you are? Take that risk. Trust God in that way. In Rahab's story, she made a courageous choice that impacted not only her life, impacted her family's life, but impacted generations. Let me just tell the rest of the story about Rahab, okay? Just for a minute, just tell the rest of the story. She was adopted and grafted into the nation of Israel and their family. After living there for a certain time, she met a man. His name was Salmon. And Salmon and uh, Rahab got married. And they had a son, and his name was Boaz. Boaz grew up to be a man. He was farming in his fields. And a woman comes up, and he falls in love with her. Her name is Ruth. Boaz and Ruth get married, and they have a son, and they name him Obed. Obed grows up, and he gives a wife, and he has a child as well. And they name that son Jesse. Jesse grows up. Jesse has a, gets a wife. Jesse has a son. And Jesse named his son David. And there's the story. Because Rahab made her choice, she became, the, in the lineage, she had influence on, uh, into the king David, into his reign, who he became and what he was. But it just doesn't end there. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, you read Matthew chapter 1, it starts all over again. And it begins with all the way back to Abraham, goes through Abraham. Once again, it talks about Rahab right there, you know, in like it's verse 2 or 3, it talks about Rahab there. And it keeps going there with the list of people I just gave until the bottom line, it says, and then was born Jesus Christ. Rahab, the prostitute, became Rahab, the lover of God. And because she chose and risked everything, her choice influenced generations all the way to our day today because of her courageous choice. Isn't that an amazing story? As these two lives come together and what God did, and I just want to say today, if God can move in the life of a pagan prostitute and redeem her, do you think, just think, that any of us are too far gone for God to redeem and for God to renew in our lives? I don't think so. And you never know the long-term impact of your choice. God is going to use the risk you take in faith for your benefit in this generation and in generations to come. And let's make it, let's just make it our commitment to live like that. And let's listen to the song all about that. Okay, would you bow your heads and let's pray a moment. Let's just talk to God. Father, living like that, I think it, uh, I just want to start with thinking about the labels we wear. That, uh, God, I pray today that some people will let you set them free. I know you're there, I know you're willing, I know you're ready. I know you've given Jesus, his blood washed it, can wash us clean, and that we can have the labels removed just today, even in our minds, God, they can be taken away. 
If we just turn to you and say, God, this is who I am. This is who I think I am. This is what I've done, God, and I want you to tell me who you say I am. God, will you forgive me? Will you make me clean? I want to turn to you, Jesus. I just, I just, I just confess, I know that you died for me on the cross, and I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to receive that cleansing. I want to be what the Bible says, a new creation. I want to do that, God. And others of us are facing walls, and we're stuck right now. God, I just pray that you would give us the courage to tackle the wall the way that you've shown. We always look for quick fixes. We want to fly over. We want to go around. And yet, oftentimes, what you want us to do is to trust you as we go through it. Just a step forward, one step at a time, trusting you. So, Father, I don't know where we're all stuck today, whether it's in our purity, uh, whether it's in an addiction, whether it's in our following you, whether it's taking risks that we know that you've called us to take, whether it's getting our finances in order, making a call. But in some way today, God, I pray that every one of us who's stuck, that you would give us courage to do what we know you've said. And we would trust you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.